We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fires downfield to Jamar Chase. He's got it. Wow. Takes it all the way. DJ Moore has a pass to the end zone. Jonathan Taylor. Touchdown. Pass is caught. Touchdown. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Week 4 NFL Recap Show here on Rotoviz Overtime with myself, Colin Kelly. I'm joined by Sean Siegel. Sean, we are going to look through all things NFL Week 4, which was both a very fun week some very disappointing news but overall i think uh, a very interesting week for us to break down here some high scoring games that we're going to kick things off with some injuries that we're going to talk about a little bit later on in the show but nfl week four sean we are all the way through sunday night football we get a packers one for myself which wasn't very pretty we get a chiefs one for you so we've uh, started off with our uh, nfl teams winning we'll see how fantasy wise things play out over the course of the next 40 to 50 minutes or so as we recap things here but sean nfl week four almost in the books how do, how is your uh, sunday going so far well this one featured a lot of crazy stuff some really really cool plays we had something of a running back resurgence unfortunately that didn't carry over to jonathan taylor but we had some other running backs sort of up and down the depth charts perform extremely well carry their teams and uh, in some cases, in the Falcons-Cleveland Browns game, that was more or less the only thing that we had going on. It's kind of funny. Arthur Smith has claimed that he is coaching for reality and not fantasy football. But he was coaching like a man who had played Caleb Huntley in DFS today. That was maybe the, the strangest set of circumstances that we saw in any game. But the Falcons do come through. They get to 2-2. Two and two, A brutal loss for the Cleveland Browns, who had had a very good season through three games. You can't lose to the Atlanta Falcons when the Falcons play the way they did today. The 10-play, 10-carry touchdown drive from the Falcons showed a little bit of Arthur Smith's genius, at least as a run coordinator. It may have been the worst defensive possession that any team has played in football history because the Falcons were obviously not going to pass on any of those downs and yet they scored easily. They do end up winning this game 23 to 20. The headline there is obviously going to be that Kyle Pitts catches a 25 yard pass on the second play from scrimmage for the Falcons is held off the board the rest of the way. Colin, we have three tight ends this year that we absolutely love. Kyle Pitts, TJ Hawkinson, and Gerald Everett. If we only needed two out of the three to hit, then this would have been 
a pretty good day. Hawkinson, I think really probably the biggest story in fantasy football in week four. He goes for eight catches, 179, two touchdowns. He was also tackled at the one and a half, two yard line after a long catch and run late in the game. He was also missed wide open in the end zone early on in the game, which would have been his second touchdown at the time. He later does get a second touchdown. This could have been a four touchdown game for TJ Hawkinson if things fall a little bit differently, but in tight end premium scoring, still a 40 point outburst. If I'm doing my math relatively correctly, this is why we like him. This is why when folks listen to us do the draft shows all off season, he was consistently either the guy that we took or the guy that we debated taking in those high leverage rounds. Yeah. And the thing with Hawkinson is after three weeks, it was fairly disappointing. He gets in the end zone in week three, but this week is obviously a, a massive smash on, on his side. I can see from some of the best ball teams that I looked at, they are quickly ascending up those rosters. You mentioned the three tight ends that a lot of our leagues will revolve around in terms of who is the starting tight end but yeah, tj hawkinson very highly rostered in my case the other one you mentioned and kyle pitts not a, a great day there and we'll have a, a question maybe later in the show around him but we'll focus on the the positives here to, to kick things off and hawkinson with that massive day that you mentioned looked fantastic had a, a couple of very big plays in this one an 81 yard catch in one of the plays that he had um and i just thought this game it felt like it could potentially set up for a game like this. Um, 48-45. There's not many times you're going to score 45 points in the NFL and not win a game. Turns out to be a, a score gammy, the first time that score has ever happened in the NFL. But that means that there is a lot of big days as we look around this game in particular. Jamal Williams in for, obviously, the uh, injured DeAndre Swift in this one. He goes 19 for 108 and 2 on the ground. Rashad Penny, somebody who is also very close to our heart, Sean, 17 for 151 and two going his way. Again, not really featured at all in the passing game. So he is capped out in the, the rushing, but he, he gets the job done there today. Geno Smith has looked pretty good. We've referenced him on the show a number of different times. 320 and two through the air, seven for 49 and a touchdown on the ground. And then I mentioned this, Sean, last week, I believe it was. Maybe it was the week before. You just have to let DK Metcalf try to make plays. He goes seven for one, four, nine in this. I think they just have to force some of those plays his way and, and let him try and make those plays. So lots of high scoring days across fantasy in this contest, obviously with the amount of points that were put up. The Lions, Sean, are a very interesting team because unfortunately they're not getting those W's, but for fantasy purposes, again, 35 points week one, 36 points week two, 24 points week three. And then we get the... 45 points in week four so they are putting up huge numbers across the board hawkinson sean very positive development obviously the the main talking point from that perspective will be that they were missing i'm on ross st brown in this game the thoughts were maybe they can't put up the points without him in the lineup they also were missing dj shark and they were also missing deandre swift so he's probably not going to get the the workload each and every week with the 12 targets he received here but i do think that a game like this is going to show the the Lions that they need to make sure they're implementing them heavier moving forward. Yeah, and I think that people who questioned him in the offseason, again, one of the things we talked about so much is that in 2021, when there were efficiency issues, he was being triple teamed on a huge number of plays. He was dealing with multiple injuries that he played through, both the ankle and the shoulder. 
this is the guy that they drafted number eight overall. I mean, he's obviously not going to get the same 12 target consistent volume when Amon Ra is out there. But this team, it's so frustrating that they're one and three. If they hadn't blown the game last week, then you'd be talking, even having lost this game to the Seahawks, which you don't necessarily want to do, especially at home. But they're missing all of those players. You could be two and two. And looking ahead to a time period where Amon Ra comes back, Swift comes back, Jamison Williams eventually plays with you. I mean, this could be the best offense in football, which is kind of crazy to think with Jared Goff pulling the trigger. I mean, are they as good as the Buffalo Bills? Probably not. Are they as good as the Kansas City Chiefs who put 40-plus points on a fantastic Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense? Probably not. But, man, they're exciting. We drafted a lot of teams with a lot of Seahawks, a lot of Jets. We joked constantly throughout the offseason that we were targeting that Seahawks Jets week 17 yeah. no I mean this is exactly how we wanted it to play out and yeah. you look at it here Penny playing Metcalf Tyler Lockett somebody we don't have a lot of exposure to he catches six passes for 91 yards today look very good this team also is explosive ideally you would have more than one target for Noah Fant Grant, he does catch a touchdown on it, but you have the seven targets combined to Disley and Parkinson. They're probably still giving a little bit away there, but as you mentioned, Metcalf, Lockett, they combine for 18 targets on the 29 total. Geno Smith averages almost 11 yards per attempt. He's playing extremely well. Now, some of the teams he's beaten are not playing particularly well on defense. The Lions right now look bad. Ben and I, in the final episode of Stealing Bananas this past week, talked about Metcalf and how he looked really good in the Rotoviz passing matchup Raider, this great tool that Dave Cabin has put together that takes all of these advanced numbers from Sports Info Solutions and aggregates the information, lets you understand how wide receivers and corners are facing up, how defenses are playing some of these teams. Outside of the Bucks chiefs game, Metcalf had the best matchup for a wide receiver. Pat Fryermuth, who scorched the New York Jets, had the best matchup for a tight end. I really like being able to play with that tool late in the week, get a little bit of feel for how we should be doing things here. And as we're talking about teams that maybe aren't at the forefront of fantasy, in cases like this in week four, you have the night game with the Chiefs Bucks. There's a lot to go over there, but a lot of our listeners will have seen that game. Some of these teams playing in affairs that maybe aren't headliners we can we can do a little bit more in terms of helping letting people know how those games played out by focusing our attention on them that jets steelers game was very interesting column we do get the decision to go to kenny pickett at halftime it was strange because you have the long week and i'm guessing that they had done some things to get ready to make this move if they needed to but it's, it's really hard to understand why it would take them to halftime. You're losing to the New York Jets at halftime. So again, there, there is a catalyst there for making that decision, but this is a decision that should have been made a week and a half ago at the latest. Pickett comes in, looks very good, completes 10 out of 13. Now he does throw three picks, but the first pick is the result of Chase Claypool making a poor effort on the ball. Claypool had two targets in this game, puts up a zero I mean, he's one of those guys that you can probably, it's not a matter of do you start Chase Claypool, it's a matter of do you drop him. Now, unless your league is pretty shallow, you're probably looking at a situation where you want to see him play with these other guys. But George Pickens 
Pat Fryermuth, they combined for 17 targets, catch 13 of them, go for almost 200 yards combined. Deontay Johnson does not have a good game. Only the four targets, he goes two for 11. This is one of the frustrating plays this week, though, where he appears to catch a touchdown in the first half. Maybe if he catches that touchdown, Trubisky doesn't get benched. And when I Possibly. say if he catches it, it's one where the the toe appears to come down inbounds. He drags the second toe, but the front foot is right there on the edge. After they called it incomplete, they probably couldn't overturn it, but I definitely saw it as him being down clean there. If you watch it, as opposed to trying to freeze it and not being able to tell, if you just watch the play happen in real time, pretty clearly a touchdown. That's a frustrating one if you're playing Deontay Johnson. That would have given me a couple of wins that turned into losses. So obviously I can't see it in an unbiased way, but I think that the move here is fantastic for Pickens, who looks great, fantastic for Friermuth, who is now probably in that mix to be the third tight end. Obviously right now you have Kelsey, you have Mark Andrews, and then the third guy is probably either Pat Friermuth or TJ Hawkinson. Those are the guys fighting for it. It's going to be good for Deontay Johnson. Hopefully it'll be a fairly concentrated passing tree for those three guys. So the first interception again is on Chase Claypool. The second interception is toward the end of the game when they're fighting to win. That one does go on Friar Muth, who should have caught it and instead bats it up in the air. Commentators talking about how that's a rookie play, a bad mistake. I mean, it's a perfect pass to your guy who goes up and sets it like a volleyball. You've got to catch that ball. That's not on the quarterback. And the third one is a Hail Mary. So you look at the three passes that were not completed. They were interceptions, but not interceptions that you look at and you worry about Kenny Pickett. He looked fantastic in this game. Yeah, so we had 100% completion rate, Sean, if you look at it that way. Uh, no balls hitting the ground, but three of them going to the, the Jets. I do think that he looked coming in off the bench at halftime, unless it was something that they had prepped and said, look, this may happen this week, which probably isn't the way they are planning going into a game. Otherwise, they would probably get him in it and they start him. But I thought overall he looked quite good in this one from the opportunities that he had. I thought he certainly looked better than Mitchell Trubisky in this game. So obviously we have talked about this being the right move from before the season, but we'll see how it starts to play out now. I thought that maybe the reason they tried to get him in in this game is when we looked ahead at schedules previously at when he may come in, their next upcoming games are the Buffalo Bills and then the Buccaneers, then they face the Dolphins, then they face the Eagles, then they face the Saints, then they face the Bengals. So there was never really going to be a perfect time to do it, but I kind of felt that Maybe they would set Mitchell Trubisky up to, you know, struggle maybe in those games rather than the rookie. So we're going to get a real test of fire. But I do think this is going to help the Steelers' offensive players moving forward. Sean, on the other side, we had pretty exciting day for Brees Hall. Elijah Moore, we get a sighting of him, but we don't, we don't get a huge amount. It's three for 53 on four targets. Garrett Wilson, quiet day for him, two for 41 on six targets. I thought it was going to be interesting to see how it played out with the quarterback change going back to Wilson, who certainly had his issues in this game he went 18 for 36 251 one touchdown two interceptions so there was there was a lot of issues with the Jets offensively but I think the main bright spot was Brees Hall and his performance seven for 66 and one touchdown but what I think was the most impressive with Hall this week is how he has kind of moved himself into it feels like RB1 territory here where he is now clearly ahead of um Michael Carter and the pecking order. He had 66% of the snaps in this. He had 65% of the rushing attempts. Was used in right participation quite a bit, but 
in terms of inside the five and inside the 10 yard line 100 of all rushes and when the game was on the line at the very end while they called it not a touchdown to start it was clearly a touchdown the ball broke the plane uh, he gets in there he gets that rushing touchdown to win them the game so i thought Brees hall looked quite good in this game he did and it doesn't necessarily jump out from the numbers because he doesn't quite average four yards per carry he catches only two of his six targets for 12 yards but the explosiveness is just unbelievable as i was watching the chiefs game in the evening and they're uh, trying to make it work with the guys that they have now having said that isaiah pacheco looked good in the game tonight ran with that ferociousness that you're hoping for for someone with his size speed profile we get another big fantasy performance from Clyde Edwards Alaire again uh, he looks like someone who's really limiting the offense the Chiefs are sitting there they could have picked him now they have George Karlaftis he looks like someone who could be an impact player on defense for a long time the Chiefs now are kind of right there with the Buffalo Bills where they're very good on both sides of the ball certainly an ascending defense that possibly is the more valuable reality player and yet you watch Brees Hall on this one and think about what he would do with the Kansas City Chiefs again I mean you're talking about a series of, of 35 40 point performances whereas with the Jets here splitting time with Michael Carter having to deal with Zach Wilson Zach Wilson you know 18 for 36 two interceptions he, he rallied the team to a victory and hopefully that helps this is his first start in his second season he missed a lot of time last year as a rookie with injuries I mean it's still too early to call him a bust but just objectively he was not as good a prospect as some of the guys who fell deep into this year's draft and so when we think about him as a number two overall pick we also want it to be within the context of just being fair to him probably not just overdrafted but overdrafted pretty significantly the contrast between how the team looked today and how it looked with joe flacco just much much less explosive but hall uh, again, you know, the play that he makes on the touchdown, he's going to be an absolute superstar in this league. He was ranked number two in my running back dynasty rankings last week. That update, I mean, it's tempting to move him to number one when you have all of these issues now with the Indianapolis Colts and Jonathan Taylor. Again, different little areas where, you know, you could object he has the six targets, only comes down with two of them, and three of the plays are plays where if he makes a good play on his side, then there are probably receptions. Not good passes, but you want your stars to make some of those plays. Wilson really struggled in all areas as a passer. He struggled throwing to the running backs. He struggled throwing to the wide receivers. One of the things that's kind of frustrating here is that Corey Davis gets seven targets. He has a nice game, 574 and one. You get the six targets for Garrett Wilson, only two catches. Part of that is because he flat out dropped one that would have helped his total. Elijah Moore looks like he's going to absolutely tear the Steelers apart early. Three catches, 53 yards, but then goes quiet. To have Tyler Conklin with five targets in here, again, that seems sort of useless, even though he takes them for a 17-yard receiving average. We don't want these targets to be this split. We don't want them going to some of the lower ceiling guys. If Wilson and Elijah Moore are going to accomplish what we're looking for they have to play better but the quarterback has to play a lot better the play caller has to do a better job one of the things that was frustrating about this game is that garrett wilson out on a lot of these plays down by the goal line it doesn't need to be that you're scheming everything to him right as fantasy managers we want to see our guys be the ones who score and catch the touchdowns and score the points and win fantasy games for us but you understand that that's not the only thing that's happening from a reality perspective 
But from a reality perspective, when you have a player like Garrett Wilson, who has been so uncoverably in the early going, you want the defense to have to account for him. This was a problem that the Ravens ran into at the end of their game. Rashad Bateman not on the field for some of their highest leverage plays. Now, Rashad Bateman had a terrible game, three passes that you can kind of look at as drops. They would have been at least two of them somewhat difficult to come down with. A lot of drops in the two rain games today. So it's not just Rashad Bateman, a lot of guys dropping passes, but it seemed like he almost worked himself out of the equation down there. And then they don't score. They go and lose that game. Kyle Pitts, the same thing. I mean, you have Kyle Pitts. He's not in on some of these green zone plays that the Atlanta Falcons run. Two of the three teams escape with victories. The Ravens blow their game. It's just not a consistent way to play reality football to not have your star players in there to not make the defense account for them right so that part really weird really frustrating i hope that zach wilson plays better because i I don't think you can start any of the players in this passing game next week seeing how he played today yeah it it didn't look good and i would agree that it's gonna be certainly very difficult to to start them until we see a little bit more consistency and that play and i i talked earlier about you know Steelers having the opportunity now to see their rookie quarterback and the one of the teams we talked about they need to see what they've got at this point and make a decision is the Jets and you know if, if you're at this point in your career you're a high draft pick but Joe Flacco is a better quarterback than you they need to uh, be thinking to the future and make some decisions for next offseason so let's see what what he can do hopefully he can elevate his play and and we'll see what happens there Sean when we look at the next game you kind of bounced into it there just for a second with the, the Baltimore Ravens obviously a little bit of controversy with how this game played out at the end with the Ravens going for it in fourth down fourth and two at the goal to try and get that touchdown to obviously make it much more difficult for the Bills than to just have to go and get a field goal I think that is the right decision I think that uh, Jim Harbaugh explained that very well after the game and his uh, post-game press conference the, the the problem I had with it was the fact that they threw the interception on that play. So it goes from fourth and two at or fourth and two two yards out from the goal line. And then we switched it over to the 20 yard line with the interception. So that was more of the issue that I had with the, the decision making there. But it is a little bit of a, a weather challenge game. Lamar Jackson doesn't have his huge day that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. The player probably that stands out the most for the Ravens in this one was J.K. Dobbins. He does get two combined touchdowns, one ru- rushing, one receiving quiet day overall for the the bills as well when it comes to the the passing game josh allen gets 70 yards rushing on the ground one touchdown for him 11 carries those carries matched by devin singletary who got 49 yards on the ground he gets 47 through the air but again a little bit like i mentioned with Brees hall devin singletary looks to have consolidated this backfield for the time being anyway second consecutive week where he kind of leads the team here lost a fumble very early on in this i believe it was the third drive team stuck with him throughout he plays 87 percent of the snaps 55 percent of the rushing attempts is 16 percent of the targets in this one which is obviously a, a positive sign but he is used quite heavily in this by the bills and that's what you want to see moving forward any other key takeaways my other one question for you sean you mentioned about the jets and their wide receivers and are they playable moving forward gabriel davis is gabriel davis somebody who's playable moving forward and this he goes one for 13 on three targets another quiet week last week for him he f- is starting to fit into that category for me where it's very hard to go and to play him he's getting getting out targeted by quite a few people on this roster at this point 
Yeah, I don't know that I'm that worried about him. It's the combination of sort of losing your spot, being in a low-scoring offense, all of those types of things when you talk about guys who perhaps aren't ready to play. I mean, Gabriel Davis re-injured his ankle during practice this week and then played in a rainstorm. So when Stefan Diggs goes four for 62 and nobody else is really involved, I mean, Isaiah McKenzie catches four passes, he catches a touchdown, but it's not like these players have convincingly jumped him. I, you probably want to see him do something before you put him in a lineup if you have other good choices one of the things that we're looking at right now one of the things that was tricky about today is that you have some of the most fun players coming off of the big week last week with Devonte smith you know do you play them in the rain that game turned into a little bit of an issue do you play someone like davis today coming off of an injury and playing in the rain that part of it tricky I guess I wouldn't be too worried about him for the long term. For week five, it's a little bit different. For the guys who are hurt, and this is one of the things, too, in terms of talking with folks about Chris Godwin today, it's just if you don't have other options, then you have to move them in. And some of these guys you drafted early enough that you're tempted to move them in. But if if you do have other players, then I think you have to consider that and let them prove that they're healthy and that they're not going to re-injure themselves actually in that game and you take a low score. Taking the borderline zero because the guy wasn't healthy is worse than going down just slightly to the next guy in the pecking order now it was a big day for a lot of running backs today it was a a very weak day for a lot of different receivers including a lot of receivers that we have and so from that perspective a little bit frustrating to hit the jackpot and find the right guys today was trickier but i mean this is a game where josh allen didn't average six yards per attempt it was a very unique game because of how bad the weather was it was also a game where if i'm a baltimore ravens fan i'm really really frustrated and i say this from the perspective of not caring who won this game we talk all the time about rooting for particular players rooting for particular teams we're not unbiased from that perspective and we always want to let people know when the lens that we're looking at a game through is such that we probably can't be completely fair about it even though obviously we have opinions about what happened even in the games where you know you're not unbiased. But in this particular game, it just it really made me think to earlier in the week when I couldn't fall asleep one night and ended up wasting an hour watching the Netflix uh, documentary on Tim Donaghy and the situation there where you have some refs who are either fixing games or at least betting on games. You have other things that uh, they bring up like the Lakers – Sacramento Kings playoff game that's infamous for being perhaps the worst officiated game in basketball history. And I mean, it, today was an awful, awful day for officiating. It was egregiously bad from start to finish, just plays that seemed to make no sense all the way through. And, and that's a problem, right? Because that game with the Lakers and Kings, and it, it matters to you more probably if you're rooting for the team who clearly got cheated, but I, I just haven't watched a lot of NBA since then. That game really killed my enthusiasm for an interest in professional basketball. Because if if the sport is going to be fixed or the sport is going to be in a situation where the league office has essentially said, officiate these games to force it to a game seven, if, if you had the team on your side that you thought could finish in six and should have finished in six and then moves on to the NBA finals, you're out once that team has been robbed of a chance to win a championship. You look at this game today, and at the end of the first half, there is a flagrant 
pass interference call where <laughs> the Baltimore receiver is hit about five yards before the ball gets there, and there is no one around this play. There is nothing distracting about it. Instead of calling that penalty, <laughs> nothing happens. The Ravens then have to punt. Bills then score. And so instead of it being 20 to 3 at halftime, because the Ravens would have then been able to run out the clock on the first half, then it's 20 to 10. From that perspective, the Ravens would have been able to run out the first half. So it's 20 to 3 instead of 20 to 10. That makes a huge difference. One of the things that ended up not actually influencing the game because the Ravens then execute is that Lamar Jackson on a third down play holds the ball out across the first down line. Somehow the officials missed that during the game. Clear, like the very definition of indisputable evidence, the Ravens challenge, the play is not overturned. And one of the weird things today too, is you have a lot of situations in which the commentators are just completely ignoring what happened on the field. Now, if you're watching the Chiefs, or in your case, if you're watching the Packers and you see these things, I mean, a listener or just any person you're talking to at the bar, what have you, is going to say, you can't be. Yeah, I'll have an I mean, example for their team as well. <laughs> but I just, I literally didn't care who won this game. This is a fun game from a fantasy football perspective. And when you have things that are just so bizarre, you then have a completely bogus roughing the passer penalty on Josh Allen that keeps a drive going later. It Again, if you're a Ravens fan, you're going to be very frustrated. And it just added to all of the plays that we mentioned, the Steelers won. That one was close. You had this bizarre offensive pass interference call that takes a touchdown off the board for A.J. Brown. So Brown is the one guy in the passing game who actually emerged from that Eagles-Jaguars game relatively unscathed. But it's a huge game for him if he gets that receiving touchdown. You have a complete nothing down the field where Dallas Goddard turns and his guy engages with him. I mean, go ahead and call that a defensive penalty for illegal contact down the field if you want. It's not an offensive pass interference. You have in the Lions game today a third and 16 that they stopped. The officials claim that they have blown the whistle at the end because they messed up the clock. So they gave the Seahawks essentially a half an hour to run this play and then realized, oh, we shouldn't have given them all day long. So we're not going to blow the play dead that they've blown on third and 16 when Geno Smith is throwing an incomplete pass. On the next play, Rashad Penny runs for a long touchdown. I mean, yeah, if it's third and 16, you can't let Rashad Penny run for like a 35, 40-yard touchdown. But just, again, just so egregious today across the board over and over and over. You know, in the Chiefs game in the evening, you have Justin Watson tackled in the end zone, and the commentators are talking about feet tangled up. It's like, well, I mean, feet tangled up maybe after they'd rolled around on the ground for a while, and then you have the shot on Mike Evans, which is – the textbook shot. We had so many calls today where guys annihilated the offensive player in the chest. And when you watch that as a fan, I mean, maybe some of the old school fans who like all of the brutality and violence think, I mean, those things are just great regardless. But I think as a fan, knowing about all of these injuries, you don't want to see any of the big hits really. But I mean, you can't hit the guys low. You can't hit the guys high. You lay a guy out in the chest then that's the strike zone that you've been given. You can't call penalties on those plays as well. <laughs> you have this play at the end or toward the end of the Cardinals-Panthers game today where there's this just flagrant unsportsmanlike conduct foul, roughing, whatever you want to call it there, where James Conner, after his progress is stopped, is thrown to the ground, right? 
in the aftermath of that, not surprisingly, the players run over to you know roughhouse as they will. If the play just ends there on that penalty, then the Cardinals have first and goal from approximately the five yard line, a really important point, a high leverage element in terms of where they are on the field, a high leverage element in terms of where they are in the game. But instead, the one of the offensive linemen for the Cardinals makes contact with the back of one of the officials. He's called for an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, which is contact with the official and is ejected on that same play within seconds. He's ejected. Yeah. Number 55 and number 53 for Carolina hit two other officials and pushed them in the back. Those guys are not ejected. And because the other the foul on the Cardinals is against an official, they then have first and goal from the 20 instead of the five. You just can't consistently make so many mistakes across all of the games. If you're going to call pushing an official in the back, you have to call it on all three players who do it within five seconds of each other. It's just a very frustrating day. And again, just it brings the entire viability of the sport into question if people watching the games can't trust what's going on. I just just a horribly, horribly officiated day. And when you watch a Sunday of football and you're thinking back to these fixed situations with the NBA, that's not good, right? I mean, it's terrible for the brand. It's terrible for the product. I just think the NFL has to do a lot, lot better job. This is a, a weekend where the NFL has to go back with the officials and say, well, we've got to do better. So this is a horrible we'll see a documentary in like, I don't know, 17, 18 years time around NFL week four, but uh, the the that is a very good documentary and, and I've listened to some stuff since Sean seems to be not quite a documentary in terms of the information that's shared it seems to be quite one-sided but uh, enjoyed watching that that was the uh, untold series on Netflix that Sean mentioned to start things off but I, I wasn't going to mention this but even things as simple Sean we've seen it last week we've seen T Higgins have a touchdown took in a way that probably there wasn't really undisputable evidence to say that it wasn't a touchdown but it was called as such on the field when we see the Packers game, the Patriots do get a touchdown there where double zeros are hit. It's probably two and a half seconds. You know, they keep talking about this. The ref has to look at the the, the play clock. Then he has to look to see if the ball snapped. This was a clear one. I stopped even ball. paying attention to those. They missed that just constantly. Like every five It plays. could be so simple. Like, let's here's a here's a smartwatch on my wrist. Let's put a, a little buzzer in it that, you know, is matched to the, the play clock. Let's do that. That he doesn't have to lock also, up. Also, since and... Aaron Rodgers constantly snaps the ball after the play uh, clock has run out. Here's our uh, for anyone listening <laughs> in who is uh, on their bingo sheet. Aaron Rodgers shots taken by Sean. There, mark that one off for for week four. Well, uh, in terms of the uh, the officiating for this game column, now this is one where I can't be unbiased at all because have Romeo Dobbs as my one of my favorite players and someone who's in lineups. But I think that you have to teach your players a certain thing, right? Where, how much of a fault was it that for Aaron Rodgers? What was wrong with the ball placement on that drop by Dobbs uh, in the in the end zone? What was uh, what did Aaron Rodgers do wrong there? Well, what he did wrong was wait until the fourth quarter to get Romeo involved. I mean, how how are you in the fourth quarter with the New England Patriots and Bailey Zappi? That is like, bad. do you we know... want to run a little bit of hurry up? Do we want to show some urgency to win the game? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform 
with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This game, watching it, you know what I thought the whole way throughout it was the Colts and the Chiefs from, I believe that was week two, where just like throughout the game, like the Packers are taking these deep shots over and over and over again. And there's like, let's just uh, finish this game off. And it felt like that kind of, we're going to win this game anyway. Let's just try out some stuff. And I know you said at the time, and I was joking, and I'm kind of joking here, but you don't try out those sort of things. But we're taking deep shot after deep shot. It felt like they were treating it almost like a preseason game. And then they, edge it out in overtime where they really scraped through so i thought there was a lot of things wrong from the, the packers perspective in this game how much was it Aaron Rodgers' fault Sean? well let's let's get after it and play the game right no i mean romeo's got to make that catch just the, the I, other again, sorry so one. much we, we took we talked a lot i mean to sort of promote last week's ceiling bananas a little better encourage people to check out this week's we talked a lot about Romeo and how he's pretty clearly the new Devonte Adams not that he's going to be Devonte Adams but you look at all the things he did in this game just I mean so reminiscent he looked fantastic if he doesn't drop that ball then Boston I mean did. we're just talking about him as the next superstar right because he does the stuff underneath he does the stuff at the intermediate range he comes back to the ball he gets open behind the defenders deep he just, he looks phenomenal. Now, the thing that the teams have to make sure that they do here is coach the players to, after you make that catch, reach the ball out. He doesn't have to go to the ground with the ball if he just moves it a little bit, right? Why do you have to go to the ground there when if you had just extended the ball a half a centimeter, it's an easy catch touchdown. You have possession of the ball in the end zone. <laughs> just, it, the, the the rules have gotten better. It's gotten cleaner. You knew it wasn't going to get overturned. I think it did make sense for the Packers to challenge, even though using that timeout to challenge actually did cost them pretty significantly in terms of then the gameplay from that point. But it's so close, and we have seen that rule to touchdown this season. I mean, I think the chances of having it overturned were pretty minimal, but you have to take that chance because it's such a clear catch, and the ball does come out not as a result of anything the defender does, but merely when it does hit the ground there. It's unfortunate. He's uh, He seemed to so clearly have it. It's easy for us watching on the couch and being nervous about what's going to happen to say, and you've got to make the catch. It happens very quickly and very violently when you're that NFL player. If you're just purely a Packers fan, don't care about anything fantasy, you, you might almost feel glad that he made that mistake because he's going to be even more cognizant of it the next time he's going to make those plays. I also thought Christian Watson pretty good in this game you can see how they're going to use his speed those two young players are going to be dynamic for this offense for a long time yeah i, I think it's very positive the way they're moving those rookies and at the moment we get that end around from watson on his touchdown we also see that romeo dubs has the fumble early in this game and you know people talk about rogers and the sneers and so on and that it felt like at that time if that was somebody else they might have been like 
yeah, that guy's sitting for the rest of the day. But they go back to him, and in the particularly in the drive where they go ahead and get that field goal, they they go to him in a number of plays, which are kind of run pass options or, or slight audibles to get him the ball quickly. And it looks like they are using him. You mentioned Devontae Adams. There's a lot of the packages or plays that would have been in for Devontae Adams on those type of plays that have been used. Even his touchdown, that kind of back shoulder throw, is something they would have used on Adams. So. The signs here are extremely positive for Dobbs through four weeks. And uh, yeah, if he catches that, it's a, a huge, huge day. And it's one of those, Sean, where you mentioned, you know, the ways that if he could stretch it out. I talked earlier with Brees Hall. He gets a, a touchdown where he extends it over the goal line, gets knocked out. This one here, if he catches that at the five-yard line and then falls into the end zone, that's a touchdown. But because he catches it in the end zone and falls, he didn't complete the act of the catch. And you talk about the referee. Sometimes we see these situations on a weekly basis where they're like, did he make a football move? Did he get like, and you're like, well, one week it's counted as a fumble and then it's a an overturn. And it's just, there's so many subjective calls that it gets very, very interesting. But the Packers do scrape out that one. I'll be seeing the Packers, Sean, this coming week on Sunday over in London. So looking forward to that. But the other games, and we'll probably touch on this now, Sean, the injury news coming out of this week two running backs very disappointing at this particular time obviously our thoughts always go to the players and hoping that they can make full recoveries we're not going to touch on the the Colts game in fall we're going to cover that later in the week but Jonathan Taylor with an injury they play on Thursday night football so his status for this week is very much in question probably going to be two to four weeks with him but we also get Javante Williams who goes down and it's always a big concern Sean when team rules a player out for the rest of the game very very quick and he was ruled out super quick in this felt like they probably done some tests on the sidelines seen the instability in his knee and and called it very very quick so he's going to have some tests over the course of the next couple of days but sounds like a season ending injury for Javante Williams with a knee injury the last Vegas Raiders do win this game they get their first win of the season we were talking about Adams he has a pretty nice day here nine for 101 doesn't get in the end zone this week but does get 13 targets much more heavily involved out targeted the rest of the roster by well over double closest catches was josh jacobs who had a massive game today he went five for 31 in the air but he had 28 for 144 and two touchdowns on the ground so the Ra- the raiders getting their win the denver broncos now two and two there was points where the broncos looked like maybe the offense is going to start to to move here they get judy involved they get Sutton involved but those times then when it looked like this was an absolute train wreck yeah, this one was much more evenly split than their first three games where the offense actually looked terrible, and yet they did win two of those three. There were a lot of promising elements for the Broncos today. Cortland Sutton looked difficult to deal with early on. Jerry Judy had some different opportunities. Now he does have another pretty egregious drop in this game. He's got to handle those plays if he wants to emerge as sort of a 1B to Cortland Sutton's 1A. You had... For those of us who obviously are loaded up with KJ Hamler in best ball, you have him beyond the defense, sort of the first play that we've seen like that all season. Russell Wilson makes a perfect, beautiful pass, and Hamler somehow loses his balance after making the catch there. And so we don't get the long touchdown. Instead, he's down at about the two-yard line there. But I think getting Hamler involved will help this offense they've made virtually no effort to get albert o involved and so they're sort of voluntarily doing a lot of things to shut this offense down it can't just be sutton just be jerry judy melvin gordon someone who was on the zero rb candidates list this year because his peripherals over the last two seasons 
were excellent, even as he starts to get up there and age a little bit. This game, I think, has to go down as a huge frustration for him, for the team, and then for fantasy managers when you look forward. He was awful. And for that reason, you have Mike Boone out there on some important plays, actually drops the fourth down attempt at the very end where Russell Wilson makes a nice pass. No one around him. Obviously, he's thinking towards running. I mean, that kind of thing will happen, just especially if you're a Broncos fan. It's it's a real bummer that that happened to him at that point. But Gordon played so poorly, including having another fumble in this game, that they didn't use him exclusively after Javante Williams was injured. Hopefully, it'll turn out not to be as serious as it looked. One of the things that we've already seen with Travis Etienne and with J.K. Dobbins is just how much a serious injury early in your career. I mean, for running backs especially, and we see this over and over and over again, it's that time period where you're extremely young that is your peak. It's not later on, right? To lose that, to lose that time and then to have a serious injury that you're having to recover from, yeah, I'm in mean, this similar to the situation with Trey Lance. Your heart just really goes out to the actual person because while it may change some fantasy teams, it, it changes his life. It changes his career if he's hurt. Hopefully, we'll wake up tomorrow morning, listeners, as you're getting this on your Monday. We'll find out that it's better than it seems right now. Kind of column as we were looking before the show started. We didn't see anything that was especially definitive. So maybe, maybe it'll come back better that's what we're hoping for yeah hopefully so so we'll see what happens there sean but the uh, yeah that was a an interesting game 32 23 the final score there for the las vegas raiders i'm still there's times where i still sometimes struggle with these uh, team changes to make sure we hit the right place yeah you can throw in oakland if you want i'm sure that the the folks in oakland are probably still rooting for the raiders right they're not bitter at all uh just like the folks in San Diego were enjoying the Chargers victory today. We we should mention before we go on, as you said, that Devonta Adams had a nice game, but the person who was the real standout was Josh Jacobs. We don't want to just kind of slide by that. I mentioned him a couple of times, I believe at least once in particular, talking about how he's actually having his best year. We had the running back updated dynasty rankings. We had the zero RB playbook some multiple pieces last week, kind of looking at where these guys are. Jacobs, pull him up in the advanced stat explorer. You can see what kind of season he's having to average five yards per carry here when in many cases you knew what was coming. I mean, the Raiders lined up and ran him right at him. It was cool that when he needed a break toward the end of the game, Zemir White breaks off a big play. He's someone definitely should be stashed on your benches. The way this Raiders team is operating right now the lead back in that offense could have a lot of value but when you know Josh Jacobs is coming at you and he still averages over five yards per carry that is a fantastic game folks who had the guts to draft him in the dead zone have been really benefiting these last couple of weeks and I, I think he has he, he looked pretty good in this and they are heavily heavily using him and the other thing was we talked about this last week but he kind of looked like he wasn't going to be active last Sunday was active they they give him everything. They give him every opportunity to play. They give him all the ball. So he is certainly leading the backfield there. John, the other note that I have here that we touched on at the start, I don't want to make every show the Kyle Pitts show, but we obviously have drafted him quite highly in a number of high-stakes leagues, and then we obviously have fed that information to people listening in. So they may have also drafted him. 
We talked about the positives of Hawkinson. We also had Gerald Everett, who had a big day. We even seen Noah Fant, although it was only one catch he got in the end zone. We've seen Trey McBride actually make an appearance and, and make some catches. But There was some completely inappropriate cheering at the Seagull household when we had the uh, Trey McBride sighting. It really startled my cat when she found out that uh, Trey McBride had caught a pass in an NFL game. And had received a target. It got very exciting. Uh, so hopefully the cat has got over the, uh, the startling but Sean, somebody who you touched on with pets gets that early target. Things looking pretty positive. They are getting him involved in some interesting ways. They had him out of the backfield on a play action where he looked to be wide open, but Mariota went a different way. But 19 attempted passes and this only seven completions. This is really not the game script we want for the Falcons where they are kind of in very tight games, have a chance to win. We want to see them kind of either behind or have it to be forced to pass the ball. But both London and Pitts not very viable this week anytime you only have seven completed passes for an offense it's gonna be very very tough we're four weeks in we've seen how big one week can be for somebody like a tj hawkinson i think we're going to have weeks like that from pets at points of the season but what are your thoughts after four weeks on pets moving forward and i know you mentioned davis and gabe davis that is and you're you're not overly concerned about that um, are you on a similar path here with with pets or how are you feeling no i would say i am worried here the uh, and one of the reasons not to spend a ton of time talking about this one, maybe on the Sunday night show, is that it. I mean, this is emotional enough that just taking some time to work through it and look at all the different angles. I mean, one of the players I was extremely frustrated with after the first week of the season was CD Lamb. Obviously, you continue to start him because you drafted him at the one two turn. Yeah, until the late fourth quarter of week three, when he puts the Cowboys on his back and really breaks out, it looked like it could be a rough season for him, especially with the egregious drop earlier in that game. But he does have a fantastic fourth quarter. He does will them to victory. He had an excellent game today. Some broken coverage. I mean, you'll you'll rarely see a star receiver uh, go as open as he was on his long touchdown in today's game. It looked a lot more like a college football game where the defense just can't account for everyone and the quarterback throws to the guy who's wide open. But he's bounced back. He's playing well. If you drafted him at the one-two turn and have put a decent team around him, then you're doing fine. After three weeks, Kyle Pitts was number two in air yards at the tight end position by a wide margin over Travis Kelsey. And the only reason that he wasn't threatening for the lead is that Mark Andrews had had such an amazing start. One of the things that happened today, Mark Andrews slows down a little bit. So here competing with a Mark Andrews manager in your league, which anybody who doesn't have them is, then you were able to claw some of that ground back. Does that mean that Mark Andrews isn't going to go out there and be the fantasy MVP for the 2022 season? Probably not. There are other players who are in the mix, but he is still up there, obviously. So does the one game today on top of the slow start make Kyle Pitts somebody who you would consider benching? One of the things that uh, folks were talking about after two weeks is, you know, could you bench Kyle Pitts? And I think the obvious answer to that was no, that'd be kind of silly. Today's game for me is different because the Falcons showed that they're not really working to build a playoff team. They're not working to 
develop Pitts, to develop Drake London, to develop Marcus Mariota. I thought Mariota should have been benched in this game because if you're not going to play real NFL football, if you're not going to let the guys pull the trigger and do the things that they need to do for your team to be successful over the long term, then put Desmond Ritter in and see what he can do. This Falcons team, the way it's currently constructed, is not competitive. It's not a playoff caliber team. It doesn't have good coaching. Put Desmond Ritter in, right? It's tough because we had Marcus Mariota in some lineups as the quarterback. It's one of those things where there continue to be effects down the line from that early Trey Lance injury. So now you're going to the second quarterback who also has some issues. I don't think that Marcus Mariota is playable, even though his projections after the first three weeks suggested that he would be you just you can't get into a situation here where the quarterback completes seven passes and is at a weekly risk to be benched which he now is in that group we've heard from the beginning that the falcons were interested in getting a decent number of snaps for desmond Ritter this year and finding out what they have in him i was surprised that it didn't happen when Mariota goes on that stretch where he's like one for eight with an interception i mean maybe they prefer him handing off (laughs) And they they had a lot of handoffs in the second half that were successful. You know, if there's a positive note from this game, is that Tyler Algier looked amazing. And he's somebody that we do have on a lot of teams. It, you know, it's frustrating that Huntley and Patterson, who were also dynamic, but not as dynamic, both of those guys get to score. Algier doesn't get that particular touch, despite the fact that the carries were split very very evenly between the three players 10 for Algier, 10 for Huntley 9 for Patterson who did get a touch again late in the game even though you assume based on how well that he's played and the fact that he was questionable for this game that he was hurt but you know when you do work that guy in toward the end of the game you know how hurt are you when you still go out onto the field just a lot of weird things from the Atlanta Falcons but I mean, for me, the issue here is that Kyle Pitts wasn't involved. They didn't seem to have any interest in using him. Drake London, yeah, he goes two for 17 and played very poorly. One of the interceptions was at least partially on him for letting the defender completely come through him, make the play. You know, only catches two of his seven targets. Did Marcus Mariota play well? I mean, no, <laughs> he was he was bad, which is, which is sad, which is frustrating. We love Marcus. He seems like one of the coolest guys in the NFL. He's made some nice plays the rest of the season. But in addition to everything else in this game, he also botched a snap in a hugely important situation late in the game that could have cost them the victory. Again, I expect him to be benched in the very short term. It's hard to see how going to Desmond Ritter, who, you know, probably not the same caliber of quarterback prospect as Kenny Pickett or Sam Howell. You know, are they going to suddenly open the offense up and and let him pass? You doubt it, but they're going to play some teams that put them away better than the Browns did. I mean, this is a game where, again, Jacoby Brissett looked okay. He did average less than seven yards per attempt. He gets picked once. He's not able to get Amari Cooper involved. I know there was a lot of enthusiasm from people who drafted him. We, you know, after week one, we said that not only was he not draftable at his ADP? He probably wasn't draftable in the first 10 rounds. Then he goes off for two big games, and that comment looks silly. You have the game today where he catches one pass for nine yards, and it looks more appropriate again. The, the difficult part of having a Cooper and then having some of these young players, so it's not just the players we're talking about that we didn't draft. It also does apply to some of the players we did. And there are some receivers who 
are really fun and are going to have some games, but also have some issues with the profile that make them a weekly risk. That's one of the reasons that zero RB can be very effective. When you have those players drafted in the first four or five rounds, unless they're hurt, then most of those guys are very playable. Most of the guys not named DJ Moore. So you have that element with him. You have it with Drake London. I mean, Kyle Pitts is going to go on to have a solid season. You don't have these situations where a player plays as well as Pitts played at his age and his draft status and then get lost completely. But, I mean, is that draft pick going to pay off? Already, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, he would have to really catch fire for that pick to pay off at this point, just with the three bad games in the first four. And now you're going to get into the situation where some managers are going to bench him for guys like a TJ Hawkinson or a David Ajoku, who had a very solid game again for the Browns today, catches five of seven for 73 yards, you know, for someone like a Gerald Everett. And so when the big game comes, he may not even be in your lineup now. So yeah, I mean, this situation very frustrating. And then the question is, you know, is it a problem with the analysis or is it a problem somehow that's completely separate from that? I think that's something, you know, that we'll have to look at as the season goes along and deal with when you're not you know, emotionally reacting to this particular game. The thing that was just so bizarre here is that he does have that big game at the very beginning. And then you come out in the second half and the first play is a deep pass to Kyle Pitts. So it's the second play from scrimmage from the Falcons and he has a big play. It's the first play of the second half, a flagrant pass interference where the defender has grabbed him and is twirling him and yanking his arm down as the target comes across again, nothing else really around that. There's not a lot of say road furniture, <laughs> which is the term that they would use uh, for cycling in Europe and, and that type of thing. When you have a star on an Island with a defender and a flagrant pass interference for that not to be called, I mean, it changes the whole game, right? And the officials don't, don't really care that it's changed the game and it's hurt your fantasy team. And that the Falcons eventually decide to only call running plays, but those are things that the NFL has to clean up. Now, if, if they call that penalty, does anything change? I, I don't think so, because Marcus Murray simply didn't play well enough. The Cleveland Browns didn't play good enough run defense for it to have mattered in this one. If the Falcons are going to go up against teams who can't stop the run when they telegraph it, and Marcus Mariota is going to play like this, then these are the results that you're going to get. And to pretend like this week wasn't a problem, I think, is denying reality in a way that's not fair to listeners. Yeah, and we've touched it. Like, obviously, it can seem like we're reacting to it and we're saying this because we drafted Kyle Pitts. But in terms of around the league, we kind of see this with different coaching staffs. But you said, you know, the the Falcons aren't kind of a, a contender or a playoff team. They are two and two. And I think that that's what they'll say is they, they got the win here, even though they kind of won very, very ugly, I guess we'll say. They get the Buccaneers next. Then they get the 49ers, the Bengals. I think the possible time to see a quarterback change is after that stretch. They get the Panthers twice in three contests, which I think is interesting. Then they get the Bears, they get the Falcons, they love the Steelers. So there is a run there where it would make sense to, to make a change. But I think that change is, is probably coming unless like, it just it it just looks like they, they don't want Marcus Mario to throw in the ball. And um, yeah, that's not 
really a, a good scenario for trying to win games. I think the change could come as, as early as tomorrow afternoon. I just you, you can't call a game like this and then stick with your quarterback. The, the coaching change or the quarterback change? No, I think the coaches are probably safe, much to our chagrin. The coaches yeah. are going to be there. The quarterback is going to be Desmond Ritter. You just you can't do this to your quarterback and to your team if that's the way you're going to call it. You have to switch. I mean, you you have to put someone out there that you have confidence in as a staff, or at least that you want to develop. You can't call a game like this. I mean, and, and the Brown side too. It's just it's really hard to fathom. I mean, they made. Caleb Huntley and Tyler Algier look like Priest Holmes during the peak of the Dick Vermeil era when you have the greatest offensive line in football, one of the greatest play callers in football, and one of the greatest running backs in football, getting 50-yard chunks at a time when the defense knows it's coming. I, I As frustrated as we are with Arthur Smith, I, he can, he can call a, a run offense. And you look at some of these other teams out there, you know, the Bills have Josh Allen, can't run the ball at all. The Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, can't run the ball at all. At least a little bit of that is going to be, I mean, you're going to have offensive line elements, obviously, but you have some scheme things going on there too. And I'm sure that he would tell fantasy managers, podcast listeners, and armchair quarterbacks that, look, I mean, I run this offense in a way that we can do it purely by running the ball. You know, don't tell me that we have to throw all these incomplete passes. And so you know, from a fairness perspective, even though I think that he should be one of the first coaches fired here, there's a huge difference between what they're doing and what the Carolina Panthers is do, are doing, which is, I mean, <laughs> who knows what, but again, silver linings, right? Christian McCaffrey, unbelievable play today. And the Panthers did involve him in the passing game. Not only does he make a lot of little plays, he goes and makes a highlight reel touchdown catch in the fourth quarter. Now, the, the Panthers then don't get the ball back because they're really bad in all facets. <laughs> but great to see that from McCaffrey. He does steal back perhaps the top spot, but Austin Eckler making a real bid for the top spot in terms of rest of season running back rankings with what he did today. I haven't had a chance to watch that game yet. I'm excited to do it. The Texans with their lack of interesting players usually are on my list of games to watch on Monday or Tuesday, but Damian Pierce obviously doing some cool things there. I'm going to be looking at that one, try to understand how he didn't get a lot more touches after the highlight run but part of what happens is that once your team gets way behind you are going to have to pass some the tampa bay buccaneers set a tom brady record today i believe with the number of consecutive passes and just a little sort of more optimistic note to, to end the show on in terms of fun players rashad white gets an extended stretch today at one point in the game bizarrely after they use him and actually have some success they do go back to leonard Fournette. they make sure leonard Fournette gets his fantasy points but we had a rashad white sighting he looked very, very good. Gets a touchdown. I think his days are coming. Hopefully so, Sean. We'll touch on some of the games we didn't talk about on today's show on the episode that will come out this coming Wednesday of Rotoviz Overtime. If you're listening in to this and you're watching on YouTube, drop us a comment in the comments below to let us know uh, what your favorite moment of NFL Week 4 was. And if you're listening in over on the podcast side, drop us a written and review in your favorite podcast app. We have... 188 reviews at this current point in time i believe and we're closing in on that 200 mark and sean this was something i was going to mention after we finish but we're closing in on 500 podcast episodes here so we'll probably have to try and think of something special to do for episode 500 of road of his overtime but if you're listening in thank you very much for tuning in for this episode 
We'll have lots more content coming your way on both Rotoviz Radio and Rotoviz Overtime. So make sure you are subscribed. But that's going to do it for today's show. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me at Overtime Ireland. Of course, you can check out all of Sean Siegel's work up at rotoviz.com. And until we are back with another podcast, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime and Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.